0: Love Talk Radio.
1: up, y'all. Welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. All right, so today, got it all lined up for you. Um, Pundits are floating, Hillary 2024. Um, Or Biden, Liz Cheney 2024. Man, Man, Thomas Friedman. That guy is an absolute mess. Um. I mean, I could literally spend an hour on that segment because this dude is, he's the worst. He also floats other people in the article. Oh, um, <laughs> just wait until I give you this stuff. It's unbelievable. Um, we also have Bernie is finally fed up with Biden and he turned on him. We have Joe Biden's free COVID test for all. It's not free and it's not for all. Who would have thunk it? Um, A new cure for COVID from anti-vaxxer weirdos. You're not going to believe what they're saying. And uh, much more. New report from unusual whales about how rich Congress is getting and how much they're beating the market with their bets. So we'll talk about that. And uh, get ready, man. Good show lined up for you. Let me start with a, a wee bit of sad news. So I told you guys on this show a number of times and uh, on Crystal Kyle and Friends last week that Jordan Peterson was scheduled to come on this week. Uh, we've had this planned since mid-December. Crystal read both of his uh, newer books in preparation, 12 Rules for Life and 12 More Rules for Life in in preparation for, for talking to him. I watched over a dozen hours of his lectures, uh, specifically his 2017 lecture series it's on psychology and philosophy. Uh, I also watched uh, a lot of his interviews, his most famous interviews, and some that are maybe even uh, off the beaten path a little bit. Well, unfortunately, we were informed yesterday that he can't do the podcast. Uh, we were going to discuss everything. We are going to discuss psychology and philosophy. Um, and on that front, we may actually uh, agree a lot more than people might think. But we were, of course, going to get into politics and economics and religion, and on that front, uh, we'd almost certainly disagree. He also floated that he wanted to discuss sex and gender with us, because I guess he knew that we're on the left, and so he thought maybe that would be interesting to get into. We were more than willing to do that. Uh, We were informed that Jordan has upcoming travel and a forthcoming months-long speaking tour, so he needs time to prepare and rest. Um, we we followed up with his assistant, who informed us of this and you know asked to reschedule. But we're told it, it's too far out to lock anything in. But maybe sometime around June. Uh, look, it's a real shame that it fell through. I've heard him mention a number of times that he wants to talk to intelligent leftists and you know not just pink-haired college kids who their main concern is um, deplatforming conservative speakers. And uh, look, this was an opportunity to do exactly that. Hopefully, eventually, we can make it work. And I will say to anybody in my audience who was questioning whether or not to have him on in the first place, um, I normally don't engage with people who I don't believe. So there are some conservative commentators, many conservative commentators, who I don't even think they necessarily believe the things that they're saying. And with those people, it's a different story, because it's like you're talking to a brick wall, and you're not really going to get anywhere. And if you make a good point, they won't even acknowledge that you made a good point. Uh, I do not put Jordan Peterson in that category. I think he means what he says. And uh, that made him an interesting character to me. And as much as people think, maybe some percentage of, of you know, my audience would think this, oh, you're providing him with a platform. Well, first of all, are we really? Because even though we're pretty sizable, he's even bigger than both Crystal and myself. Uh, but also, this notion of, you know, don't create a pipeline to whatever odious ideas he might have. Well, you got to have a little faith and understand maybe the pipeline is being created in the other direction. Maybe, even though I have many agreements with him on uh, psychology and philosophy, those political disagreements can be substantive enough and important enough where you take some of the people who, Uh, listen to him and and follow him very closely, and they go, hmm, well, that seems to make a lot of sense to me, maybe even more so than uh, some of the things Jordan might say on it. So uh, it's a shame that it fell through. Hopefully, eventually, we can make it work, and I guess time will tell, and we'll find out. Okay. Putting the sad news aside, let's continue. Pundits are at it again, y'all. The pundits are at it again. So we have here, let me throw this up on the screen for everybody. We have Wall Street Journal opinion piece. Hillary Clinton's 2024 election comeback. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have become unpopular. It may be time for a change candidate. LOL at the idea that Hillary is a change candidate. She's a status quo candidate. And LOL at the idea that she's also not unpopular like Kamala uh, and Biden. Then we have this wonderful Thomas Friedman piece. Biden Cheney 2024. Um, Put my nutsack in a blender is my response to that. Uh, So the Thomas Friedman piece is just classic Thomas Friedman. This guy is a genius at parodying himself. Uh, I said yesterday having him get paid to write for politics is like, having Stephen Hawking's job be professional tennis player. He goes on in the piece. You're going to love this. He says, if not Biden and Liz Cheney, why not Biden and Lisa Murkowski, Kamala Harris and Mitt Romney, Stacey Abrams and Liz Cheney or Amy Klobuchar and Liz Cheney or any other such combination? Now, the crux of his argument is, listen, we need to maybe take a page out of the book of the wonderful democracy of Israel. Excuse you? Excuse you? You mean the apartheid state? That place? Copy there? W- wonderful democracy? And look, it, th- I mean, this would never happen, right? The idea of you take this Democrat and you take this Republican and you run them together. But also, it's an admission from him. I don't really care about the the policies. To this guy, it's all a game. To Thomas Friedman, it's all like a sitcom. It's all about the horse race stuff. It's all about the surface level. Thomas Friedman, tell me one thing, policy-wise, that you care deeply enough about that it overrides your commitment to optics. And the answer is he doesn't have anything. And this is pundit brain. This is exactly the same thing that leads to somebody to write, Hillary 2024, is the same thing that leads Thomas Friedman to make this point. And also, there is another admission buried in here, which is what? Is there really that much difference between the two parties? The fact that he thinks this is even a consideration shows you maybe the Overton window spectrum is too far to the right, and they're too much in agreement with each other. And on that front, I say, well, that's exactly right, Thomas Friedman, because there should be a colossal difference, not just from a partisan perspective, but also from a substantive perspective. He goes on to say uh, an AOC can uh, campaign for Liz Cheney. I don't even think it occurs to this guy that there are people who prioritize actual policy substance over optics and just winning. And by the way, this ticket would not win. Of course it wouldn't win. Why would it win? So Liz Cheney's voting record is arguably more Trumpy than Trump. She's not wrong when she's like, look, I'm further right. Yeah, you are further right. Look at her voting record. It's terrible. It's horrendous. So you're not going to gain any Republicans because they just view her as like you turned on our dear leader, Donald Trump. And then you're just going to piss off your base, the base of the Democrats who actually care about important things like raising the minimum wage and ending wars and you know paid medical leave. So not only is this terrible from a policy perspective, it's also horrendous from a politics perspective. I mean, for the love of God, how does this guy get paid? To get him and David Brooks, it's like Tweedledee and Tweedledum, dumb and dumber. How do these guys get paid to give their opinion? They just have diarrhea on the page and send it out as if it's some sort of brilliant insight. I mean, these guys, holy shit. Now, let's talk a little bit again about Hillary 2024. We had this conversation previously to so it was floated once before. Look, guys, buckle up. Because now this is the second or third, maybe even fourth thing that has hinted at this or just outright said it. And what that means is Hillary's team is shopping it around. Hillary's team is talking to people in media and, and you know, dropping some, some hints. And that means she's probably going to do it. So what we might be looking at, and look, take note of the date when I'm telling you this i'm telling you this in january of 2022 we might see a rematch between donald trump and hillary clinton in 2024 it's like the movie groundhog day and you just keep wake, you wake up you live the same day over and over and over and it's just miserable and you know that no matter what happens the status quo ends up winning the corporations win the billionaires win the material conditions on the ground don't change at best, you get tweaks around the edges, but the reality is it usually gets worse for working people as we march forward. I don't know if I can handle this. <laughs> I mean, look, I do, I do this for a living. I cover politics for a living. Everybody knows that. I don't know if I can handle it. I'm going to become the joker if Hillary Clinton runs and if Donald Trump runs and we get a rematch of the 2016 election in 2024. I'm going to shove my ball sack in a waffle iron. I'm going to shove my ball sack at a waffle iron. That would be less pain than having to relive that. It really would. Because if people... We have this problem, and it's a real problem with the base, where people are genuinely starting to feel like a better world isn't possible. We can't actually move forward in a serious way. And it's hard to argue against that when this stuff gets jammed down our throat the entire younger generation is just waiting for a better version of politics to come along somebody who actually cares somebody who wants to give people health care lower the cost of prescription drugs take on money in politics and the corruption implement direct democracies we have more of a direct say over what happens with our country with our money in our name and We can't take our foot off the gas pedal. We need to keep fighting the good fight. But goddamn, when you have an establishment that's totally lined up against you in every way, shape, and form, and then you have a media that is sycophantic towards that establishment, and all they see are the personalities, all they have. Hillary Clinton's a big name. Biden and Liz Cheney are a big name. Hillary 2024? Biden-Cheney 2024? Lisa Murkowski? I mean, again, the stuff that he put in this article... I mean, this is like record-breaking low IQ shit. Biden and Murkowski, Kamala Harris and Mitt Romney. Oh, my God, that ticket would get 12 votes total. Stacey Abrams and Liz Cheney, Klobuchar and Liz Cheney. Yeah, that's a real way to fire up the country and, and launch a movement. Amy Klobuchar and Liz Cheney. I'm almost jealous and envious of somebody who can be this dim. How can you be this dim? How can you follow politics for a living and cover politics for a living? And this is the stuff that you vomit out. This is the stuff that you come up with. And the other thing is, they're all about... His other main point is, not kidding. We need to do this to save democracy. This will save democracy. This will save democracy. Joe Biden... The only reason Joe Biden won the primary in 2020 is because at the very last minute... There was collusion among the Democratic establishment to stab Bernie in the back and twist the knife. He was marching his way to victory. And then when Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar, at the last second, dropped out because they cut deals with the Biden administration behind the scenes. They dropped out and endorsed Biden. That's the reason he won. It took that and the media all deciding at once, okay, we need to push him over Bernie. And all the smear attacks came against Bernie. Oh, my God. He's like Fidel Castro. You know, he wants to make the United States Cuba or Venezuela. That's the only reason he won. So the idea that they have some sort of commitment to democracy, or Hillary Clinton has some sort of commitment to democracy, look at what they did, the DNC did to the primary in 2016. They put their finger on the scale in every imaginable way in order to take down Bernie. And then Liz Cheney, her dad, who she agrees with on virtually everything, is a guy who ripped up the Constitution and then took a massive dump on it. This is the guy who ushered in No due process, no habeas corpus, no Fourth Amendment protection from unreasonable search and seizure. We did torture. We did illegal and offensive wars. Save democracy? These are the people who destroyed democracy. These are the people who only represent corporations and billionaires. That's what they do. But this is all I have to say. We believe in democracy, and this is the way to save democracy. Take two people who nobody likes and force them on the country with relentless propaganda. By the way, Thomas Friedman is the guy who defends all of our actions when it comes to foreign policy. Here he is yelping about democracy. 73% of the world's dictatorships are armed and funded by the United States of America. You can't say we care about democracy. We support democracy. What kind of a sick joke is that? Jesus Christ. Baby brains. Homeboy has baby brains. There's oatmeal in between his ears. Now, look, the Biden-Cheney thing, never going to happen because of partisanship more than anything else. It's not that there's not too much agreement between them. There is. Um, But Hillary 2024 might actually happen. That might actually happen. And um, we're in for a long, tough road, man. We're in for a long, tough road if that's the case. Hillary versus Donald Trump 2024. 2024. Hillary versus Donald Trump 2024 well the bright side is at least those old 2015 2016 videos that we made on the election They're they're oldies but goodies they're still totally relevant and on point if that ends up being what it is I uh, I just want everybody to know there's a reason why these people are the old garden media. There's a reason why this is the stuff that's fed to the American people on a daily basis. Americans get a steady diet of this stuff. And that does help shape the way they view politics. And uh, a lot of people might be of the belief now that a better world isn't possible because the establishment's not looking out for them and certainly the establishment media is not looking out for them. And we've got to do our best to break the spell, and we've got to do everything we can in our power to make sure none of this nonsense comes to pass because elite pundit brain is a disease and we need to attempt to be the cure to that disease because God forbid these opinions are the main opinions that people experience and they don't know there are other options that's a nightmare okay Alright let's continue. Let me see if I have some notes on this one. I don't think I do. I don't think I do. Let's see. Okay, no I don't. Here we go. It appears like Bernie Sanders is finally fed up with Joe Biden. And uh, he snapped. And now he's uh, lobbing some bombs and taking some shots. Uh, It appears like whatever the communication was behind the scenes has broken down. So take a look at what we have here from The Guardian. Senator Bernie Sanders has called on Democrats to make a major course correction that focuses on fighting for America's working class and standing up to powerful corporate interests because the Democrats' legislative agenda is stalled and their party faces tough prospects in this November's elections the White House is likely to see his comments as a shot across the bow by the left wing of a party increasingly frustrated at how centrist Democrats have managed to scupper, scooper, or delay huge chunks of Biden's domestic policy plans. In an interview with The Guardian, Sanders called on Joe Biden and the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to push to hold votes on individual bills that will be a boon to working families, citing extending the child tax credit, cutting prescription drug prices, and raising the federal hourly minimum wage to $15 an hour. Such votes would be good policy and good politics, the Vermont Senator insisted, saying they would show the Democrats battling for the working class while highlighting Republican opposition to hugely popular policies. Quote, it is no great secret that the Republican Party is winning more and more support from the working class, Sanders said. It's not because the Republican Party has anything to say to them, it's because in too many ways, the Democratic Party has turned its back on the working class. Bernie Sanders, Let me repeat it, and I quote, the Democratic Party has turned its back on the working class. See, now Bernie has a seat at the table more so than he ever did previously. And what he's noticing with that seat at the table is he's looking around and going, oh, this is just as bad, if not worse, than I thought it was. So he's realizing the entire Republican Party is bought and owned by corporate interests and billionaires. But I'm behind the scenes here with the Democrats. And it appears like the same damn thing is happening. And I'm sure he's got stories for days. I mean, for the love of God, in the original Build Back Better uh, deal, we had lower prescription drug prices in there. And then it was stripped out. Why was it stripped out? Because you had a bunch of Democrats bought by Big Pharma who were like, you better take that out. I got to appease my donors. Kirsten Cinema ran on lowering prescription drug prices when she was in Congress. Now she's in the Senate. She took about a million dollars from Big Pharma, and she flipped. Now, they worked out some sort of compromise. The compromise is like, let's lower only 10 prescription drug prices and do it by the year, like 2025. It's a joke. Any person with a functioning brain in that situation would say, wow, we're really splitting the difference between evil and murderous and decent. And so we're half evil and murderous, and we think that's some sort of victory? We're really just advertising to the American people how corrupt and broken the system is. Well, now, Bernie, clearly what he's saying behind the scenes to these people is not getting anywhere. So now he's gone to the media, and the media is asking him, and he's like, look, the Democrats have turned their back on the working class. What do you want me to tell you? Now, his idea is a good idea. What's he saying? He's saying, look, okay, build back better, not getting through. Now, there were ways that you could have gotten something through if Biden knew how to fight Joe Manchin and if he was able to use the leverage of, hey, your daughter's a criminal. She's involved in pharma price gouging, and we're going to get her unless you do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll make you a hero. He could have gotten them, but he didn't do that. He didn't get them. So now where are we? What Bernie's saying is effectively force the vote. This is the force the vote strategy. You take individual pieces of legislation through regular order. So, for example, this is a great example because we're in the middle of a pandemic, but a basic paid sick leave law. We don't have paid sick leave in this country. Every other developed country has paid sick leave. We're in the middle of a two-year raging pandemic. We don't have paid sick leave. Propose a bill on paid sick leave. And then everybody goes to the media, everybody does a full court press, everybody gives interviews. You go on all these shows, you give speeches, the president, the vice president, everybody in the Democratic Party who's on the right side of this, and you go to town and you say, we're in the middle of a raging pandemic for two years, we don't have paid sick leave. There was a report that just came out, 62 or 63% of red lobster workers were forced to work sick in the middle of a pandemic. How many people got COVID because of that? You want the person serving you your food to have COVID and then you get it too? Is that what you want? If that's what you want, fine. Don't be in favor of paid sick leave. But if you don't want that, you should be in favor of paid sick leave. Everybody else has it. We don't have it. It's a basic common sense idea. Let's get this through. Whoever's standing in the way, you plow right over them. I don't care if it's Joe Manchin. I don't care if it's Kirsten Cinema. I don't care if it's Mark Warner. I don't care if it's the entire Republican Party. You do a full court press, and you twist arms. And even if you lose, you go down fighting, and you let everybody know who's on your side and who's not on your side. And my guess is at the end of the day, maybe you'll bully everybody enough so that Joe Manchin would vote for it and Kirsten Sinema would vote for it. Maybe you pick off like Josh Hawley and Mitt Romney. And look, you wouldn't get to 60 votes. You very likely wouldn't get to 60 votes. But it would be very clear who's fighting for working people and who's not. And then when you go into the election, you say, listen, I don't know what you want me to tell you. We did everything we could to get this through, and we couldn't get it through. So you know what that means? You need to get more of us in there in order to get it through. And this isn't an opinion. This is a matter of fact. We all voted for paid sick leave. The votes are right there. It was the Republicans who blocked it. So they're not going to come in and fight for you. They're not going to come in and defeat the pandemic. They're on the side of the pandemic. So vote for us. At least then you have an argument. It's good policy and it's good politics. Now, Bernie is missing one thing, though. The thing that he's missing is, I like his strategy. They should do this. But the other thing he should be doing is, Publicly crucifying Joe Manchin for not using his executive order authority. He could eliminate all student loan debt right now. He could do free college right now by doing rolling student loan debt elimination. He could legalize marijuana right now by changing it from a Schedule 1 to Schedule 4, Schedule 5 drug. At the very least, you could decriminalize it doing that. There's a number of policies he can do on his own. And Bernie should be applying pressure and saying, you got to do this, Mr. President. Now, look, the, the advice that I've given to... Uh, the left flank in the House is there's enough of you who actually care, where you could block the entire legislative agenda unless Biden starts signing executive orders. You should do that. You should do that. But I also like this idea from Bernie too. I don't know why this doesn't happen more often. Now, the other thing you could do is, so you bring up a a, a standalone bill through regular order, $15 minimum wage. Now when that fails, and then when paid sick leave fails, and then when extending the child tax credit fails, then you call a press conference. Biden can do uh, an address from the the Oval Office at prime time on a weeknight, and he could say, here's a list of the bills we tried to get through. Every one of these bills pulls it over 70%. A lot of them pull it over 80%. We were blocked every step of the way. So you know what we're going to do? bring this democracy back to being a democracy, and we're going to abolish the filibuster. Or at the very least, we're going to reform it back to the original talking filibuster, which means Republicans have to pick and choose their battles. They can't actually physically filibuster everything, so it would take too much time, too much effort, and they're not organized enough to do that. So that's what you do, and then you can break out the big guns and take Manchin and Cinema and whoever's getting in the way, and you call them in the office and say, if you don't support a change to the filibuster, okay, your daughter's going to jail. She's a criminal. We have the evidence. Merrick Garland's looking into it right now. But if you do the right thing, again, I'll make you a hero. It's up to you. Offer you can't refuse. It's up to you. We will make you public enemy number one in America if you don't do the right thing. So this is what you do. This idea that, there's, oh, oh, our arms are twisted. There's nothing we could do. It's too hard. Yeah? Tell that to FDR. Tell that to LBJ. Tell that to people who actually got shit done who knew how to twist arms, who knew how to apply pressure, who knew how to use leverage, who knew how to get an agenda through, who knew how to prioritize something over civility and decorum, which apparently is the only thing that Joe Biden cares about. So now they're talking about they're going to try to reform the filibuster. You ready for this? Here's the brilliant reform they want to do. Let's make one exception to it, and it's on voting rights. That's it. So you're going to – now, don't get it twisted. Voting rights is an important issue. But okay, so let's say you end up reforming it, and then you get voting rights through. Then what? You get voting rights through, so the, the, the landscape is a little less skewed against Democrats than it was previously, but you're probably still going to lose the next election. Unless you actually deliver for people, you have to deliver for people. So Bernie's had enough. Look, Bernie always means well, but oftentimes I think he's naive about how power works and he ends up playing the game from within the party too much. I think this is a good example of it's, it's an indication and it's evidence that he's hitting brick walls behind the scenes. And when he's trying to talk sense into people, it's not landing. And so now he goes and gives advice, and he's like, fight or lose, because that's what's going to happen. Fight or lose. And it ain't going to be on me when you lose, even though everybody's going to blame me. And that's what's happening. There was just an article that came out This is going to absolutely put me in an early grave and give me a conniption, give me an aneurysm. Um, This is an article in The Hill, just came out. New, centrists are warning progressives to back off with their favorite rhetoric as the Democratic Party enters a challenging midterm year when it is in deep danger of losing the House and Senate majorities. They're already blaming the left. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Democrats have the Senate, the House, and the presidency. The dominant faction is the centrists, is the moderates. You guys are driving the ship. You guys are in control. Your philosophy of governance is being exercised right now in front of our faces, and nobody likes it, and nobody likes it. You're telling the left to back off? The left is giving you the solutions. But you don't care about the solutions because really what you're doing is serving your donors. That's what you're doing. But no matter, it doesn't matter what happens. It's always the left's fault in the minds of these people. Well, look, flip it right back on them. Here's a warning. Uh, progressives tell centrists to back off because they're blowing everything. You guys are the ones who are losing it. And in fact, I'll go a step further. Actually, we're the centrists. And we're the ones proposing common sense solutions. You guys are the extremists. So how about moderate Democrats tell extremist right-wing corporate Democrats to get out of the way? Because if you guys listened to us all along, you'd be crushing it in the polls right now, and you would win this election easily. Republicans don't even talk about policy anymore. All they have is stop the steal. All they have is the culture war. All they have is, I want to have the right to be unvaxxed at a Denny's and then die from COVID. Okay. Okay. Well, you should be able to beat those guys with both hands tied behind your back and half your brain functioning. But they can't beat them. And they can't beat them because they stand for nothing. FDR won the presidency four times. Americans got a little taste of social democracy, and they absolutely lost it. They were like, I love this. He held 80% of the House and 80% of the Senate. We've never seen numbers like that since then. Why? Because nobody's serving you. Well, the left is saying, for the love of God, serve the American people, and they still get blamed. No, 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 no. I don't accept that. I don't accept that. Barney is telling you right now. Adjust course. Adjust strategy. Do the right thing. Fight or lose. And when you lose, it's on you. Damn, I hate the corporate Democrats so much. Okay, let's continue. Oh, man. Even when Joe Biden notches a nominal win, it appears like there's a 1,000 caveats and it's not really a full win. So his free COVID testing for all turns out maybe not to be free and definitely isn't for all. So take a look at this. The Biden administration on Monday issued guidances is in Politico that will require private health insurers to reimburse people for up to over-the-counter COVID-19 tests every month beginning January 15th. Under the plan, private insurers can set up programs at preferred pharmacies or retailers where the upfront cost of home tests is covered for beneficiaries. A family of four would be able to have 32 home tests covered by their health plan each, each month. Quote, plans and issues are strongly encouraged, plans and issuers are strongly encouraged encouraged to provide direct coverage for over-the-counter COVID-19 tests to participate beneficiaries and enrollees by reimbursing sellers directly without requiring participants, beneficiaries, or enrollees to provide upfront payment and seek reimbursements, the state states the guidance released by the health and human services, by health and human services, labor and treasury departments. Okay. So let me explain this a little bit. They're saying, can you get free COVID tests? Yeah, but only if you're privately insured. Oh, well, hold on now. That's about 62% of the country. Now, Medicare people, they get it for free because they just get it through Medicare because Medicare is effectively government healthcare in this country, and we have it for older folks. It should be for everybody, but it's not. Okay. So how many people are left out of this? About 30 million Americans are left out of the free testing for all plan. Well, that's not for all. Now, is it? Now, the other thing is, well, what happens if you show up and let's say you don't have your insurance card? What happens with that person? Well, my guess is you're going to have to actually pay for the test. And then maybe after the fact, you submit a claim fill out some paperwork, submit a claim, and then maybe they say, okay, we'll reimburse you for the cost of the COVID test. Why is everything done in the least efficient and the least effective way? The whole idea of testing is not just, hey, I know I have it, I I wanna know I have it. That's not the whole idea of testing. There's also another aspect to it. Let me figure out if I have it so I can plan accordingly and not infect everybody around me. So 30 million Americans Some percentage of them won't be able to get the COVID test or won't be able to afford the COVID test and can't get it because this plan does not cover everybody. Well, what about them? Well, here's the reality with them. They're screwed. And then maybe they go to work when they're feeling a little under the weather. They didn't have a test. They couldn't prove they had COVID. They got to pay the bills. And so you get another super spreader event in a number of places all around the country. This shows you the neoliberal rot in the Democratic Party the lack of imagination, the lack of a robust universal approach. It's not that difficult to say, free test for everybody. We're going to send colossal shipments to every public library in the country or to every pharmacy in the country, even private ones. We're going we're to send the tests out, and then you go and you get it for free. That's it. That's it. There's no showing your card. There's no hey, I don't have my cards and I need to be reimbursed. There's not, oh, I'm one of the 30 million Americans that doesn't have health insurance. So now I guess I'm screwed and I can't afford it or whatever. None of that. They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They can't do it. In the UK, they just mail you. They just mail you tests. They just mail them to you. That's it. You don't have to ask for You, you don't have to do anything. They just mail them to you. Now, maybe they've changed it since the beginning of the pandemic. Maybe you do now have to say, hey, can you send it to me? Originally, that was maybe the plan for what Biden was going to do, but they changed it. And, of course, they changed it in a way. By the way, the other portion of this is um, there's almost certainly a windfall for the insurance companies. So I'm sure that now you're going to have them get a cut of whatever's happening here, and the government is going to funnel them tax dollars well above cost for what the tests were to make. By the way, we just heard that Kroger and maybe Walmart and some other places – there was a deal that previously was in place. You have to sell the test at cost. So they were going for 14 bucks or whatever, $20. Uh, well, that deal's gone, and they jacked up the price. So now the 30 million Americans who can't get it nominally for free, um, they're going to have to pay even higher prices. Nothing works in this country. Nothing works in this country. Why can't you just do a good thing that is, Efficient, easy, and direct. I say it every day on this show, but FDR is rolling over in his grave right now. (sighs) Free COVID test for all. Not for all, and in many instances, not even free. Thank you, government, for uh, exposing yourself as broken and corrupted as we always thought you were. Okay. All right, now let's have some fun. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Oh, I forgot this guy's name. Let me look up his name. A new cure for COVID. Got it, okay. Oh, he was recently arrested too. Hold on, let me read this a little bit. Uh, Let's see, recent court appearance, Jefferson County District in April, he was inside the Whole Foods in Alabama. Oh, and you refuse to wear a mask? Okay, arrested for not wearing a mask. Maybe a little bit excessive. Anyway, so in the era of COVID, there's a number of people who are out there hawking these bogus therapeutics and cures and treatments and medicine, and um, it gets goofy from time to time, man. I mean, it's goofy almost all the time, but it gets hilariously goofy sometimes. So this guy's name is Christopher Key, and uh, this blew up online. He's against the vaccine, and he's going to tell you what the real cure for COVID is.
0: The antidote that we've seen now, and we have tons and tons of research, is urine therapy. Okay, and I know a lot of you, a lot of you, this sounds crazy, but guys, God's given us everything we need. Okay, and I'm going to give you again. I test and prove all things, okay? Um, This has been around for centuries. Um, We've got research after research, documented, peer-reviewed, published papers on urine. We do. We have this.
1: Even his anti-vaxxer audience is like... Carry the six. What? What are you saying, dog? Urine therapy? Urine therapy. So what is it? Do you drink your own piss? Or do you just, like, shower in your own piss? Or, look, I have a theory about this. And uh, a lot of you guys are going to disagree, but I'm sort of convinced of it. I just think this dude has a piss fetish. And he's got, like, a little cult of followers who believe both of what he says. And so he's just throwing the Hail Mary pass, man. He's going all in. He's like, I want to see if I can get a bunch of people within my following here to piss on me. I think homeboys got a piss fetish, for real. The cure to COVID-19 is, turns out, we know for sure, double-blind, peer-reviewed studies. We, I did the research. I did my own research. I looked into it. Turns out it's urine. Who wants to come demonstrate and piss on me? I'm on you, bro. I'm on you. Now, look, I'm just speculating here, uh, but go back and watch that video again and look at the dude. If there was ever a dude who wanted to get pissed on, it's Christopher Key. I mean, he, he may as well have a tattoo on his forehead that says, piss on me. I mean, look, at, I'm, I'm sorry, but that dude, guilty. That's just guilty. That's piss fetish. I would, If I saw that dude walking on the street on a random Tuesday, I'd be like, I think that guy probably has a piss fetish. Because he just looks like a dude who has a piss fetish. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Because I can't for the life of me figure out why the fuck else you talk about, oh, I found the cure to COVID. It's piss. Double-blind peer review say, Imag- okay, just play along with me here. Have some fun. Imagine like two months from now, a study comes out that's like, actually he's right. (laughs) Turns out this guy wasn't crazy. Turns out everybody just needs to drink their own piss and everybody's going to be good. And then the whole world starts drinking their own piss and nobody gets COVID anymore. And we're all like, hooray. Just imagine that was the reality. There's so many things about like anti-vax culture that are hilarious to me. I mean, look, it's terrible, right? Like go get vaccinated, 90% protection from severe illness, hospitalization and death. That was a French study with over 20 million people. Very clear. You should go get vaccinated. But the absolute lack of logic or basic coherent philosophy among these people is ridiculous. You know, they'll in one breath, They'll talk about big pharma and how greedy and corrupt they are. And then if they get COVID, they run to get the monoclonal antibodies, which is also made by big pharma. Now, they used to say the vaccine's experimental. Well, it turns out at least the Pfizer vaccine is no longer experimental. Went through the full process, total approval. You know what is experimental? The monoclonal antibodies. Now, by the way, it works. There's enough evidence and data to show that it works, but that hasn't gotten the full approval yet. And listen, if you are, I'll make this point, this is the most important point that goes over a lot of people's heads. But if you really believe that the big pharma is as greedy as could be, the health care system is as greedy as could be and corrupt, and the health insurance system is the same, there's a very easy solution to all of it. Nationalize all three of those. Nationalize health insurance, nationalize health care, nationalize big pharma. Nationalize it. Because then you get rid of the profit motive. It's gone. It's gone. Now, look, every single right-wing anti-vaxxer who's going hard on this stuff, none of them say that part. None of them are like, and that's why the logical conclusion, because of all this systemic corruption is, we've got to get rid of the profit motive, therefore getting rid of the corruption. So we've got to nationalize it. None of them say that. None of them. None of them. So what you have is just empty virtue signaling. Crystal Ball did a great piece on this exact point that I'm making right now, and um, the Breaking Points producer, James, is the one who actually pointed that out. He saw a uh, Crystal and I segment on Candace Owens in the last Crystal Kyle and Friends, and then he made that point to us. He's like, you know, I know she's full of shit because she talks about big pharma and how terrible they are and how greedy they are, but she never – there's never any policy solutions. She won't even support what was in the original Build Back Better bill, which is lower drug prices. Let's negotiate for lower drug prices. She won't, they won't even support that. not just Candace. Virtually every right-wing uh, person on this run, virtually every anti-vaxxer. So, look, shit, I'll cut that deal right now, dog. I'll cut that deal right now. Nationalize the industries. Or keep going to virtue signalers who act like they're so against big pharma, but then they give you solutions like this. Got the solution, going to drink some piss. Or going to make five of my followers piss on me in a wave of glory, because I'm sure this dude would love that shit. Oh, he would love that shit. It's a hard sell. You Look, I, I, know, I know you guys are skeptical, but, I mean, we did the study, the double-blind peer-reviewed study. Really? You got double-blind peer-reviewed studies on whether or not piss cures coronavirus, and it says it does. On, on, on the one hand, you have to respect how brazen these people are. I mean, that, that's as brazen as it gets, bro. Anyway, a bunch of you guys in the audience, uh, try it out and let me know. Let me know how that works out for you. Okay, next. Mm. I really love this next story. So on the last show, we talked about how Marianne Williamson is a name being floated now to primary Biden in, uh, in 2024. And I'm for it. You know, it, go watch that video. I lay out all of my reasons as to why I think it makes sense. Well, she's clearly thinking about it at least a little bit, because she just went on um, Fox News here. Jesse Waters has a new Fox News show. They should call it the Smug Frat Boy Prick Hour, but I don't think they're going to do that. Um, She's going to drop some truth bombs right on top of Jesse's head. So let's watch this, and then we'll come back and dissect her messaging and determine whether or not it's sufficient if you're going to take a crack at being president.
0: So, Marianne, are you considering primarying President Joe Biden?
2: No. Like many, many people, I'm thinking very deeply about what's going on in this country. And I realize that the horse race is not the conversation that most matters. You know, to listen to Fox, to listen to CNN, to listen to MSNBC. It's all about left versus right, isn't it? But I don't think that that's the real political divide that most matters in this country. I think that's kind of a cartoonish version of the political divide in this country that makes billions of dollars for political forces and media forces. The real political divide in this country, Jesse, is between the powerful and the powerless, and the powerful few are headquartered in both major political parties. It is the corporate-backed forces whether it's big pharmaceutical companies, big oil companies, military defense contractors, et cetera, that are are obstructing the financial well-being and the greater economic and uh, uh, professional and just personal opportunities of the American people. That's what I would agree with that. that There's definitely
0: a big guy versus little guy scenario, and that's always been the case, and that's something this country has to address. In your opinion, as a progressive Democrat, if you still label yourself like that, where do you think President Joe Biden's biggest failures have been so far in year one? Not pushing back
2: the biggest failures of Joe Biden to me are the same as the biggest failures of Donald Trump and Barack Obama and every president in modern history, which is a refusal to take on in any fundamental way, the dominance of these corporate forces. I mean, if you look at the actual economic opportunities of the average American, have they really been that different no matter who?
1: That's a winning message. Now, understand something. I I told you guys it's never worked that you primary an incumbent from your, from your own party, that doesn't work. However, the number of upsides here are innumerable. So one of the things you do is take the left. We had the movement with Bernie Sanders that got everybody energized, more people involved in politics, a more united left front than we've ever seen. And now they're disparate factions and they're warring with each other and they're slitting each other's throats. Why not bring some wind back to the sails and unite the left again? and give us a running head start for the future and create 1,000 new Bernie Sanders, 1,000 new Marianne Williamsons. And I genuinely believe we could break the record. I don't know what the record is for uh, trying to primary an incumbent president, but I think we could break whatever the record is. I think we could get 15, 20, 25%. And the other thing is uh, you never know what's going to happen with Joe Biden because he's really old and he's half a zombie at this point. And so maybe he doesn't run again. Maybe he can't run again. And then maybe the field's wide open. And then maybe Marion Williamson gets a head start on everybody else because she can announce uh, you know, a primary uh, quicker. And then when eventually Mayor Pete and, and uh, Amy, Amy Klobuchar and Connell Harris jump in or whatever, she's already got a running head start and she's already got a sharpened message. And I said it the other day. I'll say it again. You want to craft a message that not only unifies the left-wing base, which she's doing, but you also want to pick off disaffected independents and even people who might lean right and you can build a gigantic coalition because here's the thing a lot of the fox news viewers yes a lot of them are kool-aid drinking partisan hacks who are republicans but one of the things i've noticed about the right-wing base is that it's almost like the substance of your criticism doesn't matter to them so if you're attacking biden from the right they like you if you're attacking biden from the left they like you well that's weird they just don't like biden and generally speaking they don't like the democrats but you can almost co-opt that mindset against them and really what i mean what i mean by that is you can co-opt that mindset into getting them to believe in good policies and that's sort of what she's doing here when you talk about hey it's not left versus right it's powerful versus powerless or as i say it's elites versus populists it's it's big guy versus little guy what you're doing there is, uh, you know, giving people some sparks. Uh, you're, you're giving people just a, a hint of something new and interesting while also feeding their hatred of the Democratic Party. And you'd be surprised, man. That's like the beginning of a move towards deconversion. Now, I'm not naive. I'm not some idealist who thinks you can convert 100% of people. No, but... Can you convert some? Yeah. Can you convert more than maybe anybody else is doing? Yeah. So that message wins. It's not left versus right. It's powerful versus powerless. It's big guy versus little guy. Um, Why is Joe Biden so terrible? Well, Joe Biden's terrible because he's not serving the American people. He's not getting rid of student loan debt, which is holding back an entire generation. He didn't raise the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour. He's not uh, taking on big pharma. He's not taking on uh, the lobbyists and the billionaires. And these are the people who are responsible for the American people being screwed on a daily basis. Now, they'll hear that and like it. They'll hear that and like it. You're sort of roping them in to having better politics. And it's a long process, and it's a slow process, and it's an arduous process, but you can do it. And it also is a message that everybody on the left agrees with. Everybody on the actual left, the the left base agrees with. So you're holding the left base and planting seeds in the minds of people who aren't already 100% with you. That's how you do politics, man. You always want to frame arguments in a way where you have a chance of convincing or eventually convincing people who don't currently agree with you. That's the art of persuasion. That's the art of good politics and being a good politician. Um, So I said it before. I'll say it again. Mary and Williamson, with anybody who would run against Biden in 2024, anybody who would run in 2028, you've got to put some very basic ideas front and center that can get everybody interested. One thing is and among the population, people will be interested in this. The elites in Washington DC., they don't want this at all because they're all bought in their hacks. But one of the ideas I love is, why are we talking about just a corporate giveaway infrastructure deal that's a compromise to the compromise of the compromise? We should be talking about making our infrastructure number one in the world. I want to be better than everybody else in infrastructure. I want to have beautiful roads, beautiful airports, beautiful bridges. I want to have high-speed rail. I want to, I want to make it so that we are the envy of the world with our infrastructure. I want America to be number one. Now, that's national pride, and that's real patriotism, and that's a message you can sell to everybody, including people on the right, including independents. Make that argument. Sell that idea. I love the idea of a direct democracy law hey, I'm running for president, but it's not about me. It's about you. I want to be a medium for your will and for your voice and for what you want. So you can't say, hey, I don't like what you're doing, because then you're saying, I don't like what I'm doing. So if we get a direct democracy law, every time you vote for president, you you vote on the top five political issues of the time on important issues, well, guess what? We'd already have $15 minimum wage. We'd already have legal marijuana. We'd already have paid time off by law. Because you give people a direct vote on that, we know what way they're going to go, and that's a good thing. It's a shortcut around the corruption in Washington, D.C. to give people a direct voice, and that's exactly what we need to do. That's another thing that Marianne Williamson could run on. Another thing is just resurrect FDR's old economic bill of rights, his second bill of rights, where people have a right to a job and an adequate wage and a decent living, a home, medical care, economic protection during sickness, accident, old age, or unemployment, and a good education. Bring that back bring that back, talk about that, run on that, say, listen, the last guy who proposed this is one of the most popular presidents in American history. It's not the most popular president in American history. He won four times. His party held 80% of the House and the Senate. Why? Because he was serving the American people. That's my job. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to serve you. I love it, man. I love it. I love it. Let's re-spark that movement. Let's unite the left. And let's put a message out there that's palatable to as many people as humanly possible. You don't pander to those who disagree by giving in on their policy stuff because then you're just a flip-flopper and you just contradict yourself and maybe you don't even believe in anything. You rope people in by staying true to your policy ideas, standing on principle, but making clever, intelligent arguments that make them think maybe they're on to something. And so I, by the way, don't even get it. I, I don't want to hear the oh she went on Fox News. She shouldn't have gone on Fox News. Marianne Williamson, if she runs for president, should accept every single invitation to speak, absolutely everywhere. She should be on MSNBC. She should be on Fox News. She should be on CNN. She should be on new media. She should be on uh, right-leaning new media. She should be on left new media. She should go everywhere, anywhere and everywhere. And this way, when they try to attack her with the bullshit, oh look at who you're talking to. She can say, listen, I just I say yes to everybody. I don't know what you want me to tell you. I'm running for president, I have a message for everybody. It's not even about the person I'm talking to, it's about the people in the audience. And I'm trying to expand the tent based on good ideas. Okay, so that's what I'm in the business of. You might not like it, it is what it is. The media, in many respects, will smear her and come after her. But if she stays laser focused on things that matter, she can build that gigantic following. She can keep a movement going. She can unite disparate factions of the left who are currently at each other's throats. I love the idea, and I love that message. I hope she continues. And um, let's do it, man. Let's remind people that a better world and better politics and better policy is possible. Okay. Next. So this is a video from More Perfect Union. Um, They do great labor reporting. Everybody go sub to them on YouTube. They're wonderful, and go follow them on Twitter. Um, They uncovered how bad the current situation in America is with sick people working or being forced to work in the middle of a raging pandemic. So let's take a look at what's going on at Red Lobster, and then we'll come back and discuss. Red
0: Lobster workers are being forced to come to work sick during the pandemic. And the is he basically got COVID on Sunday and by Tuesday the girl and I were showing symptoms because we already hung out with him before we found out that he had symptoms and got the positive COVID test so then we went to tell management like hey I'm not coming in for my weekend shifts because you know I've got the same symptoms as the roommate that has COVID um, and they tried to fight us a lot with that when I had to take off for getting COVID I just didn't get paid anything I was just off the clock we don't get sick pay. If we don't work, we don't get paid. I know the coworkers have been in contact with a confirmed COVID-19 family member with people come to work. We live paycheck to paycheck. We can't sit at home without pay. Red Lobster is one of the largest restaurant chains in the U.S., with about 50,000 employees across nearly 700 restaurants. Their restaurant staff don't receive paid sick leave Except where it's required by local law, even amid a public health crisis, Shaking people on COVID, we never clean or closed. Lack of sick pay gives workers an impossible choice. Work sick or miss out on much needed wages. Researchers who surveyed red lobster employees last fall found that 63% of workers who reported being sick in the past month said that they had worked sick. About two-thirds of workers who had an illness reported working sick. The option to take time off and not get paid is not really on the table for those workers. Then Schneider helps oversee the shift run. Which has surveyed over 90,000 service sector workers of large companies. The pandemic really focused our attention on the importance of real access to paid sick leave. Red Lobster's provision of paid sick leave, according to their workers, really falls short relative to even the low rates of paid sick leave provision in the sector. So overall, in the food service sector, about 30% of workers have access to paid sick leave. It's just about 12% for Red Lobster workers. In some cases, Red Lobster workers said their manager demanded they work, despite knowing the they were sick. Managers let employees work sick and dump them Managers also won't let employees employee call sick. They insist they in unless they find a replacement. And a lot of these have to do with the broader business practices of firms like Red Lobster, running a really low staffing model where workers are really dependent on getting hours from their managers. Um, And so what we see there is that a large share of workers told us that they didn't work, they worked sick because they were responsible for finding someone to cover their shifts and they couldn't find someone to cover their shifts. Or that they didn't want to let their coworkers down because staffing was so low, if they don't show up, they know what that means for their coworkers' day. Red Lobster's parent company reported 190 million in quarterly profits last fall but Red Lobster pays its workers so little that missing a few shifts unpaid is not an option for many workers.
2: I was paid $8.25 an hour. I never got a pay raise.
0: I worked at Red Lobster from November of 2016 till July of 2018. I started off at nine twenty-five an hour, and I only got one raise through my time there, and I got bumped up to nine sixty an hour. Of the hundreds of Red Lobster workers surveyed, said it was difficult to pay all their bills in 2020 and 2021. 18% reported going hungry. You know, they felt like, you know, they were getting overworked, underpaid, and it just seems like we were just like, it's almost like a, we were just almost like another number to them, you know. At the start of the pandemic, huge restaurant chains like Olive Garden began to offer paid sick leave after myself and other reporters started publishing horror stories from their employees about working sick. But Red Lobster hasn't shipped.
1: We don't have a national paid sick leave law. Every other developed country has it. Shit. Probably most developing countries have it. But we don't have a paid sick leave law in this country. Over 60% of Red Lobster workers were working sick in the middle of a raging pandemic. A deadly raging pandemic where there's over, what, 830,000 Americans dead, over four or five million uh, people dead worldwide, is this this what you want? You want workers with COVID handling your food? Is that what you want? Anybody with a functioning brain is going to say, of course not. Of course not. Let's have paid sick leave. I haven't seen a recent poll on it, but I'm sure it's 70%, 80% of the country that wants paid sick leave. For the love of God, do something about this. Democrats, you have the House, you have the Senate, you have the presidency. Even just propose a bill through regular order on paid sick leave and then do a full court press and shame everybody who doesn't vote for it and just see what happens. See how far you can get. And you know what? If you lose, you tried. You tried, and then you could take that message to say, hey, look who blocked paid sick leave. It's them, not us. I'm fighting for you, and then that helps you. But, oh, my God. Look, it's so much worse than anybody thought what we're looking at is effectively a capitalist death cult in this country. Now, I'm, I'm not pro-lockdown. I don't think that's a good idea. Um, you know, we tried some semblance of it, even though it was one with a thousand loopholes uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't think the outcomes were great. Um, but having said that, everything else should be on the table and should be implemented. So for the love of God, vaccine or test policy for the entire country, you absolutely have to do that. Now, of course, they don't have enough tests. They should have done the Defense Production Act to increase how many tests there are. They should have done the Defense Production Act to increase the number of therapeutics and medicines for uh, COVID, like the monoclonal antibodies and every other treatment that's used. But you absolutely, positively, 100%, without a doubt, have to do things like a paid sick leave law, a great overtime pay, stronger labor rules and regulations. You can't just feed people to the wolves. And that's exactly what's going on here. And these people, they don't want to let their fellow workers down who then have to cover their shift and they can't handle that workload. So they go in. They also, you saw, what was it? 18% are are going hungry, struggled with not having enough food. We have people who are working full-time jobs and not making enough money to survive. What kind of psychopathic shit is this. We like to think, oh, we're so much more evolved from previous times, like feudal times or, or whatever. Are we really? When uh, the minimum wage is not a living wage, which means that we effectively have wage slavery in this country, is that really that much more evolved? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. We're in the middle of a pandemic, two years deep in it, over 800,000 Americans dead, and they didn't, they didn't improve our healthcare system at all. We have a vicious price gouging for-profit health care system and health insurance system and pharma system and nobody nationalized any of those industries nobody biden didn't even do a public option in the middle of a pandemic well i guess health is on the back burner as an issue in the middle of a pandemic they couldn't even get negotiating for lower drug prices through this is a completely corrupt and broken and backward system for the love of god give people paid time off for the love of god cut ubi stimulus checks to people for the love of God, make the minimum wage a living wage. The working class is being killed. They're being killed, forced to work with COVID. That's not just bad for them, and it is bad for them. It's bad for whoever shows up to eat too, because now you're just setting up these events where it spreads like wildfire nonstop. This is just red lobster we're talking about here. Imagine what it's like at other companies. I'm sure there are horror stories. The other point is, and I'm ashamed I didn't mention this earlier in the segment, the PRO Act, unions. We need strong unions in this country. You absolutely have to make it so that you have unions. And by the way, unions that aren't corrupted by leadership that's in bed with management. That's an important point. So the more democratic the union, the better. But that's how you fight for workers. That's how you get better benefits. That's how you get overtime pay corporate interests have taken over at every level, man. And this is the result. Who wants this? The only people who want this are the elites and the CEOs. That's it. That's it. We got to start overruling them and overriding them and get this country back to sanity because this is as bad as it gets. Credit to More Perfect Union for doing this. Credit to these workers for speaking up. This is incredibly important. This cannot stand. But my guess is, even though this is a huge story that should be breaking news on every media outlet, They're not going to touch you with a 10-foot pole. So, look, share this far and wide. I, I don't care if it's my segment you share or if it's, shit, go to More Perfect Union and just share their segment. Like their segment. Send it around as much as possible. Stuff like this has to go viral. We have to raise awareness about this stuff, and we have to apply pressure because how can we continue at this pace doing what we're doing here? This literally is capitalist death cult stuff, and I don't even think that's controversial to say. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, got a hell of a lot more, including um, an Indiana Republican wants to teach both sides of Nazism. Stay right there. back Beach and I have a doozy for you here baby I have a doozy for you here this is something so there's a Indiana Republican politician who shoved his foot directly in his mouth so let's take a look at this from the hill An Indiana Republican who last week said teachers should be, quote, impartial when teaching about Nazism and fascism is now backtracking from his comments. State Senator Scott Baldwin, during a state Senate committee hearing on Wednesday regarding a proposed bill that would prohibit divisive concepts in schools, said educators have gone too far when when taking a position on Marxism, Nazism, and fascism arguing that they, quote, need to be impartial. Marxism, Nazism, fascism, I have no problem with the education system providing instruction on the existence of those isms, said Baldwin, a co-writer of the bill, according to the Washington Post. I believe that we've gone too far when we take a position. We need to be impartial, he added. One day later, Baldwin walked back his comments in an email to the Indianapolis Star. He said he meant to express that educators should not be telling children what to think about politics, quote, When I was drafting this bill, my intent with regard to political affiliation was to cover political parties within the legal American political system, Baldwin told the newspaper. Now, that is quite a story. We go on to learn. Um, He says, quote, in my comments during committee, I was thinking more about the big picture and trying to say that we should not tell kids what to think about politics. And understand that the whole genesis of this commentary Um, was in response to concerns about Senate Bill 167. So that is a bill to prohibit teaching critical race theory. So this is a guy who's for prohibiting critical race theory. Now, hold on. You just said, hey, let's teach about everything, but... Just be impartial, don't take a position. So if you were holding true to that logic, you would say, look, teach critical race theory as such. Teach it, but just don't take a position. Just teach everybody about the, the ideology of critical race theory, about what it constitutes. Teach what the original author's intent was when it comes to critical race theory. Just don't take a position pro or con. His wires got mixed up in his head. He didn't realize he was effectively arguing the opposite point to the position he was taking on the bill. Because if you're in favor of like academic freedom, teach all this stuff but be impartial, then that should also extend to critical race theory, right? Look, the fact of the matter is that it actually, believe it or not, I know the the hook into this conversation is Absurd that this guy wants to be impartial, what, teach both sides about fascism and Nazism? That's crazy, right? But it actually does lead to an interesting conversation about the nature of education. And so how should one go about educating people? Now, I would imagine every reasonable person would say, you know what? If you're going to teach Nazism and fascism, it's okay to have moral and ethical condemnation and judgment on that system since it led to millions and millions and millions of dead bodies, and it was genocidal by its very nature. So I think that's a fair position to take. Uh, But I also think, and the same way I believe this about the media, by the way, I did a thing recently called the myth of unbiased media. And the point I was making is, it applies here for teaching as well, everybody's got a perspective, everybody's got an ideology you might not even know the ins and outs and the details of your ideology, but everybody's got an ideology. Everybody takes a position on stuff and you fall somewhere on a political spectrum. Now, some political spectrums are more nuanced and intricate and complex than others. And maybe you say, hey, I fall more on this intricate spectrum in this weird place. Okay, whatever, but you fall somewhere on there. And so the real trick when it comes to both media and when it comes to being an educator, what would make the most sense is if everybody was just upfront with what their own perspective is so you tell everybody day one you tell everybody hey look here's roughly where i fall uh and so that is that's the framework through which i view the world and i interpret the world and then after you give people your perspective yeah you try to do as as good of a job as possible teaching about the world now Again, with most reasonable people, you're going to have nothing but condemnation for Nazism and fascism. But, yes, you should still teach everything about Nazism and fascism. You don't play hide-the-ball with any aspect of it, of the total truth. So what you should do with every topic is as detailed an account as you can give, as objective and empirical an account as you can give. Um, So try your best to do, you know, hey, here are the facts and then yeah you could say now my perspective on the facts are x y and z and again my guess is every reasonable person is going to have moral judgment and condemnation for nazism now on the flip side should you teach critical race theory sure why not why wouldn't you uh and you should be able to also say look my perspective on that is as follows as long as you give all the facts all the information up front, in as empirical a way as possible, in as objective a way as possible, then there's no problem with saying, and my personal perspective on it is X, Y, and Z. That's the most honest way we do it. We could possibly do it. But nobody even really takes that position. Because there's this notion that, like, if you are either in the media or if you're a teacher, that you're, you can't have opinions. But if everybody has an opinion, everybody has a framework, you know, if you have the freedom to pick the topics, even just the topics you pick, are going to be indicative of what your underlying philosophy are. Same thing with the media. You could say, no, I'm objective, I just give all the information, and that's it. No, you don't, because there's a process to determine what are the things that you cover. And some things make the cut, and other things don't make the cut. In the process of just determining what you're going to talk about, your bias is showing, your perspective is showing. So um, I think that's, that's the the least bad way of all bad ways to do both the media and education. It's, look, you have a rough curriculum. It covers a plethora of different things. If we're talking about political science or we're talking about history or whatever, the best you could do is say up front, here's my perspective. I just want everybody to know that up front. Now I'm going to do my best to be as objective and empirical and give you all the information about all these different isms as possible. And then, yeah, I'm also going to say, and here's what I think about that. And then you could tell me what you think about that. And then you have honest, open dialogue, you know, people, people mess up when they try to play hide the ball with what they actually believe. And people mess up too, when you just skew the basic objective facts about whatever the ism is or whatever the situation is. And that happens so much. Everybody's trying to play hide the ball in media. And in the classroom, everybody tries to do that because they think that's the professional thing to do. Um, And then a lot of the times, you know, people just mess up the basic facts. And that might be informed by their own bias, even though they would swear up and down it's not. So, listen, that's the best way and the most honest way and the most open way you can do education and you can do media. And unfortunately, I don't – it's very rare that people have this view that I'm espousing. Because they would say even telling your perspective is like poisoning the well. Um, I don't think it's poisoning the well at all. I just think it's – you're a human being, and you are – as such, you have your own limits and your own framework. So that's just the most honest way you could do it. But almost everybody will tell you, no – play hide-the-ball and try to have zero opinion and be a robot. Um, and that just doesn't work. Because you're, it's going to come through in one way or another what you actually think. And, again, that's not a bad thing if you're just upfront with it. So, I mean, that's a world that we're very far away from, though, because, again, I don't think, shit, would anybody with any position of power agree with me that this is how education should be conducted and the media should be conducted? I don't think so. Because... People want to cling to this notion that it's even possible to be like a total robot and go through everything in a perfect way. And it's like, that's not a thing. That doesn't exist. You should try your best to achieve that when doing the objective and empirical portion of the teaching. But then people need to know your perspective up front and you can tell them what you think as long as it's informed by what's actually real about an ideology or about a situation, so on and so forth. So... Um, yeah, there you have it. This stuff is really complex and nuanced and complicated and intricate, as you could tell. And I don't think anybody really gives it the um, – I don't think anybody really gives it its due. And that's clear because you have – it's funny how people flip like that uh, when they're talking about what their preferences are with education or with media. You know, like you have the right screen that they just want – they want to get biased out of our education system, and then in the next breath they will openly admit we need to teach a version of American history that makes people love America. So in other words, downplay or hide the things that we did that are really bad and play up the things that we did that are really good and portray us as the beacon of hope and justice in the world and uh, you know, teach American exceptionalism as if that is not its own perspective and not its own bias, when it absolutely is. It absolutely is. So teach everything, teach the good about America, teach the bad about America, teach all the different political ideologies, teach critical race theory, teach uh, responses, intelligent academic responses to critical race theory, teach it all. But try to be as clear and honest as possible when teaching that and be upfront about your own perspective. So anyway... That's my breakdown on it. I, I don't know about you guys. I find this stuff fascinating. But, yeah, it is. I mean, it's absurd, isn't it? Because the dude, in the same breath he's arguing against teaching critical race theory, he's also saying, look, teach everything. Teach all the isms. Teach fascism, communism, whatever, but be impartial about it. What? So be partial on critical race theory. Don't even teach it, but be impartial on Nazism? What? These. These people are confused, and they're a mess, and they flip their standard like it's nobody's business. But um, that's wild, isn't it? Thankfully, he backtracked. Look, the first day he said, everybody was like, did you just say be impartial about Nazis? What? And then he came out pretty quickly and was like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. Yeah, you are an idiot. You should have thought that through a lot more. That's for sure. Okay, next. So here we go. Yet again, uh, Groundhog Day. That's a theme on the show recently. We have uh, Michelle Obama is doing the thing that Democrats love to do. Take a look. This is from CNN. Former First Lady Michelle Obama has a message for Americans ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. We've got to vote like the future of our democracy depends on it. This this is going to happen, guys. This is going to happen for the rest of our lives. Every time there's a midterm election, every time there's a presidential election, you get the scolding, the berating, the vote, 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 vote. Now, I wouldn't have a problem with this if I felt like they were delivering with the power they have, but I have a big problem with it because this message of action to the voters is never turned on the politicians. If Michelle Obama wrote a thing and was like, break out that executive order pen, what are you doing? You promised at least $10,000 worth of student loan debt elimination for all Americans. I think he said 50 at one point. Well, you have the power, you have the authority under the 1965 Higher Education Act to do exactly that, and you're not doing it. So how about you do it? How about you do that? So do that, and then I'm well within my rights to turn around. To young americans with student loan debt to say hey man who just helped you out now you, are we deliver for you are You going to deliver for us i have no problem with michelle obama doing that but she doesn't do that it's not just michelle obama i don't want to single her out even though she's the one who said this stuff here it's going to be every democrat who wags their finger go vote go vote go vote go vote go vote how about you go vote in congress for things that would improve my life and win how about that how about joe biden breaks out that executive order pen how about you try to fight? to get through paid sick leave in the middle of a two-year raging pandemic. How about you try to get the child tax credit through? How about you threaten Joe Manchin's daughter with prosecution to get Joe Manchin to fall in line to support some version of Build Back Better? How about that? So that's the thing that I can't, this is why I had to talk about this, because they always frame it like it's on you. It's always on you. It's always on you. It's always on you. Well, motherfucker, we listened to you last time. You have the House. You have the Senate. You have the presidency. And what are you doing with it? The last time you did something with it was the $1,400 check, which, by the way, you said was going to be 2000 but all of a sudden, no, look at that. We can't do it. We're going to do 1400 And now you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, and you're yelling at voters again to go do something. So you can do what? Continue to sit there? Vote us in there like our democracy depends on it so we can stay in power and just sit there and not do much with what we have. Is that a convincing message? Look, again, I understand this is going to happen. They're going to tell people to vote. But if you can't, hey, here's the list of the things we did. Here's the list of the things we're fighting for. Here's the things Joe Biden's doing right now. And she can be telling Joe Biden, do these things. She's not. It's all on you again. Vote like our democracy depends on it. Well, listen, we're in the middle right now. They're not getting rid of the filibuster. They're not even reforming into the talking filibuster. They're maybe going to do an exception with just voting rights, but they probably won't even do that. That hasn't got through, at least not yet. So vote like our democracy depends on it. So what? You couldn't even get basic democracy reform through to protect from gerrymandering and to get us automatic voter registration. And So the Republicans have a built-in advantage. How about you guys protect the democracy? How about that? How about our democracy does depend on it, and therefore that's why you guys need to flex some power. No, never. It's never that. It's always the voter's fault. It's always the voter's problem. It's always on you. You go do it. Go do it so what kirsten cinema and joe manchin can continue to block every single thing how about you put them in line how about you at least try to put them in line how about you show a little fight nope it's all on you we're gonna get massive turnout we're gonna we need to vote like our democracy depends on it because it does and of course the same party in 2016 that put their finger on the scale biased it against bernie sanders now screaming about the virtues of democracy. Oh, man. Oh, God, I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of it. People are going to say, what the fuck have you done for me? We were just talking. There was an article. What was it? Some super high percentage of black voters were like, if Democrats don't do, some student loan debt elimination, I'm not even going to bother voting for them. So if you want that vote, well, do that shit. Or Michelle Obama, tell Joe Biden to do that shit. Publicly call him out. People who are Democratic elites refuse to ever call out other Democratic elites. And so they'll always flip it back on the voter. They said, hey, if you give us power, we'll, we'll flex it. Well, we did, and you didn't. And then the next thing will be, well, give us a supermajority. Well, you had it under the Obama years, and you didn't. You did right-wing ideas, like Obamacare, which was originally... Uh, an idea that came from the Heritage Foundation. It's an individual mandate system. It's a right-wing think tank's idea of healthcare reform. So then it's okay, give us a even bigger supermajority. Look, you're never unless you clean house of the, of the corporate Democrats, you're never going to get the stuff done. So what she's saying is vote blue no matter who. And my advice to you is definitely do not vote blue no matter who. You only vote for blue that you trust can deliver and will deliver and isn't bought and owned by corporations. They're already doing it, man. They're already doing it. I can't. I can't take it. I can't take it. And then like the other articles saying Hillary 2024 or Biden-Liz Cheney 2024. And they're gonna they're robots. They'll come out and say the same thing. Vote like our democracy depends on it. Oh, my God. Mm. If we really had a democracy that was functioning as a democracy, a lot more of that Build Back Better agenda would have gotten through. That's a fact. You can't have a bill where all the provisions are like over 60% popular, some of them over 80% popular, universal pre-K, elder care, negotiating for lower prescription drug prices, expanding Medicare, extended child tax credit. You can't have all these popular things, and then you can't get it through and don't fight hard enough to get it through and then turn around and say, vote for us because democracy. What do you mean democracy? Democracy would have been if you got that shit through because people want it and we didn't get it. Look, it'd be one thing if they failed, but they tried. They're not even trying. At at the very least, they're not trying the right way. Because it's all patty cakes and holding hands and singing kumbaya and calling Joe Manchin JoJo, and here we are. So Michelle Obama's got nothing to say to Democratic elites who aren't getting shit done. She only has stuff to say to the voters. Hey, just don't look at the fact that we didn't get shit done. But just vote for us again so we can continue to not get shit done thanks Michelle for your contribution next this is a good one let me see check five notes on this one too oh yeah I do okay here we go unusual whales released a phenomenal report on all the stock trading going on in Congress right now let me show you that They say, breaking news, I have just released the full trading report on politicians in 2021. In short, many beat the market, of course. They traded more than ever before, and they made numerous unusually timed trades, resulting in huge gains. So you see there on the right, all the people who were doing it. You have Austin Scott, Brian Mast, French Hill, nice name, French Hill, John Curtis, Dan Crenshaw. Look, all the top ones are Republicans. Then you have Nancy Pelosi right there, who is one of the worst. Uh, David Rousner, David uh, McKinley, and the list goes on and on. Um, listen to this. Hundreds of millions of dollars have been exchanged on the stock market by our elected officials in 2021 alone. In just equities, Congress bought and sold nearly $290 million throughout the year. In 2021, Congress beat the market. This report shows which sectors were preferred by each party and branch. Oftentimes, huge trade amounts could be attributed to one or two members. Big legislative events, such as the infrastructure bill getting passed by the Senate, were often preceded by politicians trading in the sectors affected. There were tons of unusual trades where politicians made millions of dollars. Congress has 45 days to disclose trades to the public. Sometimes they are late, and you can see a list of late disclosures here. Some politicians held securities in the sectors they vocally expressed support for, such as senators holding cryptocurrencies while drafting crypto regulations. Gee, I wonder if those are going to be strong regulations. This report highlights many of these and other unusual instances. So. They go on to say, I'll give you a little bit more here. So they said 290 million in stocks, 290 million. That corresponded with 3,500 transactions by 105 members of Congress, $140 million in options contracts. That's 270 transactions by six members. Those are the big players. 124 million in other securities like private equity funds. That's over 200 transactions by 19 members. And $500,000 in cryptocurrencies, that's 25 transactions by six members. Uh, There were 430 members who did not take a trade in 2021. Now, credit to these people. I'm sure many of them will because they see that their colleagues are getting away with murder. But at least for right now, some of them, look, AOC said it. I'm tough on AOC when she's done bad stuff. When she does good stuff, I say it. She says, listen, I can't, in good conscience, I can't play the market because I'm directly responsible for passing laws. That affect the market so i mean that's definitionally insider trading and you can try to move stocks to personally profit and that's exactly what these assholes do i mean we saw tom price the former head of health and human services under donald trump he was invested in a company i think it was a medical device company and then he was uh pushing legislation or on a committee that gave them a tremendous amount of money and drove up the stock price And so he got rich as a result of that. Everybody knows the story about Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi's husband is out there making millions of dollars in trades on insider information from Nancy Pelosi. And then, oh, would you look at that? He always ends up winning. Look, they beat the market. They beat the market. Now, do you think they beat the market because they're just such good, intelligent investors or because they have inside information? We know it's because they have inside information. There was that meeting just before – we knew how bad COVID was, and there was a giant market crash. They had an internal meeting where there was a wink and a nod. It's like, hey, dog, just letting you know, this virus is a lot worse than a lot of people are saying. So, you know, do what you will with whatever you got going on the marketplace, keys, But I'm just saying, I'm trying to help you out a little bit. And then you had Kelly Leffler, who, uh, you know, they sold massive amounts of stock at the time. And who's the other one in Georgia? I forget his name. Two, like, comically corrupt politicians. By the way, this is one of the main reasons why Warnock and Ossoff won, is because you had their opponents were just openly, brazenly corrupt, and then there was no accountability for it whatsoever. So the voters were like, oh, okay, we got this. We got these people who are corrupt, who are looking out for themselves and making millions of dollars because they knew a market crash was coming. And then you have um, Warnock and Ossoff who were campaigning hard on $2,000 checks and calling out the corruption. Now, by the way, the reports were at the time when Biden backed off and made the 2,400. Who was pushing him hardest behind the scenes to say, no, do 2,000? Ossoff and Warnock. Because they their word was on the lot. So, and by the way, again, credit to Ossoff. I guess him and Warnock really do credit the corruption of Leffler and the other one to them winning. So Warnock, when Pelosi was like, oh, it's a free market, we shouldn't stop Congress people from trading. Warnock was like, huh? And he snubbed Pelosi and proposed a bill to ban not only people in Congress from trading stocks, but also their family members and their staffers. Correct. That's the right thing to do. That's, it's obvious. The fact that this isn't already illegal, look, the least you could do is fine them whatever profit they made plus 25%. So that's a big disincentive. Okay, all your profit gone. We're going to tax it back. We're going to fine it back. And then we're going to, another 25% on top of that. Because you know you shouldn't have done this in the first place. You knew it was immoral. You knew it wasn't ethical. You did it anyway. You did it anyway. That's the least you could do. But in a world that made sense, here, walk with me here, and think about such a glorious world that would make sense. Uh, they serve jail time. Look, you guys know, one of my more off the beaten path opinions is that I think corruption should be punished, honestly, like it's one of the worst crimes, because it is, because that's how a nation degrades over time. So it should be punished like it's murder, or like it's assault, or like it's rape. You should get hefty prison time for corruption. And I'm not talking about, you know, the next level of your quid pro quo. You need to have Bob saying to Jim, Hi, Jim, I'm going to give you this amount of money, and you should do this for me in return. No, no. Oh. It should be a, a much more reasonable standard than that because all of Washington, D.C. runs on corruption and everybody knows it, but they get away with it. And they get away with it for a number of reasons, but you know, one of the main reasons is the Supreme Court effectively said money equals free speech, so donations are, you know, sky's the limit. You can donate a ridiculous amount to PACs. You can donate, donate a lot to campaigns or individual politicians or party structures, and that has to end. That has to end. Now, unfortunately... You'd probably need a constitutional amendment to to change that in any serious way. Um, And that's hard to do because you need so much of the country, the states individually, constitutional convention, get the states together, what is it, three-fourths or two-thirds or something like that? So it's a lot. It's a lot to do. Obviously, that should be done. And outside of that, whatever can be done legally or through executive order needs to be done. But this is just a start we're talking about here. Campaign contributions are also a form of bribery and corruption. But this is even further. This is individual and personal corruption. This is like literally I will trade stocks and then vote on what's going to happen with my money I just invested. So if you invest in Google, let's say, are you going to pass strict regulations that might hurt their bottom line? No. Uh, If you invest in some low-wage company, are you then going to support a $15 minimum wage, which would in turn raise the wages of the workers but maybe hurt the bottom line of the shareholders? No, you're not going to do it. They all have conflicts of interest. It's a sick joke. This is a sick joke. If, if we heard this about Russia or Iran or other countries, we'd be like, look at this banana republic bullshit. This clear oligarchy, kleptocracy, corporatocracy nonsense where you have the elites rig the rules in their favor, get away with it, and everybody else is struggling. I mean, if you work full time in this, in this country and you make the minimum wage, you don't make a living wage. You don't make enough money to survive. But you've got politicians who are waltzing around on a $200,000 salary or, or thereabouts. And then they make $7 million, or their family does, through investments. And these, they're serving these corporations. It's a sick joke. We all know it's a sick joke. Ban them from doing it right now. And as far as I can tell, every normal person agrees on this. When you talk to average Joes and Janes, whether they're Republicans, Democrats, Independents, or something else, everybody's like, what are of course, of course. Now, by the way, Pelosi, of course, swatted this idea aside because she's corrupt, and her family's corrupt, and her husband makes a shitload of money, and they beat the market. So now you had McCarthy float, the the Republican leader. He's like, yeah, we're going to take a look at banning stock trading. Let me be clear. Is he actually going to do it? Hell no. Not a snowball's chance in hell. Not a snowball's chance in Satan's rectum. He ain't doing that shit, but he's at least smart enough to know to posture politically. To act like, oh, yeah, we're the populists, We're going to do that. You ain't doing Dickie McGee's acts. But he's outflanking the Democrats on the left in that respect. Pathetic. Pathetic. Credit to John Ossoff. Everybody needs to get on board with this. This is a crime, man. And this this is Pelosi's legacy. If she's going to retire, and indications are she will, the last thing people are going to know you for, she said, oh, Build Back Better is my legacy. (gasps) How'd that work out? You didn't get Dick through. What your real legacy is is what's happening right now. You were directly confronted with your personal corruption and profiteering off the marketplace through insider trading and your response was, who can do a free market, who That is your legacy, Nancy Pelosi. All right, next. So Pope Francis is out there saying some popey things. Um, He's an interesting character. He's very hit or miss. Usually when you talk about popes, it's their miss or miss. Like they just miss like nobody's business. Uh, But every now and then he says something that's more reasonable. He's the least bad of all bad popes. I mean, how good could you expect from, you know, a group that is largely known for boinking children and getting away with it? Anyway. So take a look here. This is from the Daily Beast. During his annual speech to Holy See, ambassadors, uh, Holy See ambassadors on Monday, Pope Francis denounced anti-vaccine misinformation and a, quote, cancel culture that he said prevents nations from being able to work together. Francis urged people to get vaccinated, not just for themselves, but for the greater good of society, calling health care, quote, a moral obligation. He added the debate over vaccines is a result of people letting themselves be influenced by the ideology of the moment, often bolstered by baseless information or poorly documented facts. He also decried the influence of rich nations that practice ideological colonization through their advocacy for contraception, same-sex marriage, and progressive ideas around gender in other nations. He related this colonization to cancel culture, which he believes under the guise of defending diversity ends up canceling all sense of identity. Okay, so let's respond to this piece by piece. First, the anti-vaccine thing. Is it good that the Pope is like, hey, the vaccine works, you should probably get it. I, I do think that's a good thing. I also think it's kind of funny, though, that, like, a, a religious body is being, like, pro-science. Because it's like, you want to apply that science to other aspects of the way that you view the world? Because if you do it, it's not going to end up very well. You know, you've got a grown-ass man in a long-ass dress with a funky-ass hat who acts like he's a wizard. And he's like, we need to be objective about this stuff and follow the science. Okay, why don't you follow the science further and see where that gets you? It's not going to get you where you want to be i'll tell you that much okay now but there is something missing here now i didn't see the whole speech so and i've read a couple articles on the speech but i haven't seen any mention of this and this would be a huge problem it's it's more about you got to lift the the patent protections for big pharma that's the problem again a lot of people are inverting the conspiracy theory and they act like the conspiracy is they're forcing this vaccine onto the developing world and to uh, and on everybody and that's nefarious no the real scandal is that these big pharma companies don't want any generic vaccines made because they can't make money on those generic vaccines. And so with the patent protections in place, all we have is charity for the developing world. And only like 6% or 7% of Africa has even gotten the vaccine, that's just one example, because they're refusing to allow people to make generic. If, if they lifted the patent protections, everybody can make generic and we'd have way more people, millions more people vaccinated. So that's the real scandal. Now, Maybe the Pope has said something on this before. I don't know, but that's what, the, that's what you should be talking about. It's fine to go after the anti-vaccine ideology. I do it all the time, but that's not enough because the real anti-vaxxers in a roundabout way, it's big pharma because they're protecting their own profit margin by not allowing the creation of generics, which would you know, hurt their bottom line. So they actually functionally are the global anti-vaxxers because they'd rather have a smaller number of people get the vaccine if it means they make more money, nobody gets a generic version of it. And then they can, when you have all these new variants, they can keep pumping out newer vaccines, tweak the formula so that you have to keep getting the vaccine and they keep making money. So I wish he brought up the pad protection thing. That's more important. Anyway, now let's get to the other point. This is fascinating. So the Pope brought up cancel culture. I'm against cancel culture. Now, what does he mean when he says cancel culture? Well, he lays it out. He says, Um, when rich Western nations push for contraception, same-sex marriage, and progressive ideas uh, around gender in other nations, that's cancel culture. So he's saying you're canceling, like, conservative traditional values. There's a number of problems with this. One of those problems is how is the West pushing contraception, same-sex marriage, and progressive ideas around gender, like trans issues in other countries? How is the West doing that? Maybe the West is pushing contraception, but really the whole point to push contraception around the world would be it would reduce the rate of STDs and reduce the rate of disease as a result of that, and then people would be healthier. But they, I don't know how much they even do that. I don't think they do that at all. The idea that the West is pushing same-sex marriage on the developing world, how, where? I don't see that. Has the U.S. put a clause in, uh, uh, in agreement with Saudi Arabia that you've got to have gay marriage next year or something? No. If anything, we overlook a lot of the old school in many instances bigoted thinking of nations we cut deals with for the love of god 73 percent of the world's dictatorships are funded and armed by the united states of america are those bastions of left-wing social policy no so i don't know what he's talking about when he says this the idea that we're pushing um gender ideas and other progressive ideas around gender in other nations how we don't even have progressive ideas around gender in this nation Being trans is not a protected community in the United States of America. It's not a protected class. It should be because technically it's legal in like over 20 states for uh, a business owner to say, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you're trans. I'm going to fire you now. That's technically legal. So we don't even have the protections here. What are you talking about that we're pushing it overseas? What? That's not even true. But to the broader point, that's not cancel culture. Look, everybody uses cancel culture for everything. It's a wet blanket for everything. When I think of cancel culture, I think of, Censorship, deplatforming, banning speakers on college campuses, you know, that's cancel culture. Uh, There's plenty of examples of right-wing cancel culture because they always try to get people deplatformed or punished for, for speaking their mind. That's cancel culture. He's just using cancel culture to say don't critique traditional values. But that's not cancel culture. There's nothing canceling about that. And if anything, that's dialogue, that's engagement, that's debating, that's discussing. So is it is it cancel culture that we have gay marriage in the United States of America? Have you canceled people who are against gay marriage? No. If anything, the closer thing to cancel culture would be when right-wing evangelical Christians wouldn't allow gay people to have the same rights as others, wouldn't allow them to get married. The law of this land for so long was you can't get married if you're gay. So that would be closer to cancel culture than what he's talking about. So what do you want? You just want people to be able to have these traditional opinions and Nobody could ever question them? Is that the idea? Because that's absurd. That's absurd. Now, it's interesting he says this, though, because he's made previously, uh, previous comments that are not anti-gay. If anything, they were leaning more in the pro-gay direction. But clearly, there's still a decent amount of conservatism in this guy. You can only, it's like, guys, it's all about the Overton window and that spectrum that's allowed. He goes, as far left as you can go within the confines of the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church, in many ways, was a deeply conservative organization, definitely socially. But this guy, at least economically, he's much more like, hey, stop the wars and give everybody a piece of the pie when it comes to finances. But, look, could have done better, Popey. Could have done better, dog. You know, you, there was, we covered one of his other speeches he gave where he was all in on, like, pharmaceutical greed and um you know, corruption and anti-war, and I gave him a lot of credit, but this this one was a little bit of a swing and a miss. Now again, you have to watch the whole speech. I didn't watch the whole speech, admittedly. Maybe there were parts where he was decent in it, but look, this right here, this ain't it, dog. The anti-vax thing, okay, go out. I'm fine with that. Promote the vaccine, but, but, but you got to talk about those patent protections and the cancel culture thing. Just sounds like a whiny social conservative who's upset that at least in many Western countries. In the realm of ideas, the left is winning. You know, More people are pro-gay marriage than ever before. Almost everybody's pro-contraception. You lost that battle, man. And the only one where we're still lagging is maybe on uh, trans rights and trans acceptance. But certainly not being pushed on the rest of the world. I don't see that at all. But they would like to just stay deeply socially conservative and not have anybody disagree with them. So really, maybe, ultimately, they're kind of snowflakes. Okay. Next. I love this next clip. This clip is CNN. Um, they are worried about where America would be without them, particularly when it comes to, like, COVID-19 stuff. So let's take a look, and then I'll respond.
0: In the Reliable Sources newsletter. Here's a, here's a big, overly broad question for you, okay? Okay. Is the media at this point out of touch with the public about COVID? I I think it's hard to argue that, uh, you know, the media is a a large uh, group of people, but a lot of the media does seem, when I look at it and and then travel the country, to be very out of touch with people. I mean, if you travel the country, people are not really living in the same uh, bubble that it seems that uh, most of the media is messaging toward. And and so – Yeah, and and so I I, I think this is an issue because if people are tuning out uh, what's going on in cable news, if we're not messaging toward uh, the general population, um, you know, they're just, you know, ignoring everything and and living their lives, uh, and and we're not really getting the information that they need to them.
1: (laughs) That's a good one, bro. I remember years ago, there was a study that came out which found that people who watch no news are actually more educated on the news than people who watch Fox News. And I haven't seen an update to that study, but I would reckon if they redid it, they would find the same thing for CNN and MSNBC now. Because the, the amount of misinformation that they put out there is legendary. I mean, look, all of Russiagate. They spent years hyperventilating over this idea that Donald Trump was Vladimir Putin's puppet, as Donald Trump was escalating with Vladimir Putin and arming Ukrainian neo-Nazi groups to be at his border and, you know, uh, rejecting the, Putin's pipeline and things of that nature. And they just were all in on this utter conspiracy theory that the Kremlin infiltrated the government or whatever. So if you watch no news, you'd be more educated than if you watched the news at that point in time. Now, that's just one example, but we can go on and on. This idea that, oh my God, they'd be lost without us, particularly when it comes to COVID. What are you talking about? It's, It's not just you. It's also like every step of the way, the CDC, for example, the FDA, everybody was wrong about so much stuff. I mean, there was a time when Fauci was like, don't wear masks, masks don't work. What? There was a time when not just Fauci, but all mainstream media would call the idea conspiracy theory that, hey, maybe this originated in a lab in Wuhan. They left that out of the room. They would fact check that and they would... Act like if you're arguing the other side of that, you should probably be banned from social media because that's dangerous misinformation. No, you're the one spreading misinformation. They have this false certitude. Again, on COVID stuff, you oh, You got to rely on us because COVID stuff. Guys, listen. W- remember the whole Joe Rogan fiasco where he was taking ivermectin and they said it was the veterinary version and it was horse medicine? Look, that, you got to be honest. That's just dishonest, man. That's what that is. Now, it would have been fair to say, hey, he's taking ivermectin. He's also taking monoclonal antibodies and a bunch of other things. And the, the studies on ivermectin are at the very least incredibly mixed. So it maybe is not a great thing to take that or to put that on the list of things that you should take when you have COVID, but he is taking the human version of it. And there is mixed evidence and there are doctors that are prescribing this thing. They couldn't even hit that bare minimum level of ob- objectivity. They couldn't do it. So this idea that, well, they need us because they have to rely on us for stuff. You guys mislead people like nobody's business. Imagine how much effect it had when every, when C, every CNN show, every MSNBC show, and every um, nightly news show immediately flipped and realized, hey, only Biden can be Bernie at this point. And so when Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar dropped out and endorsed Biden, and they all said, that's it, Biden's the guy. Look at how uniform they were across the board and how much that propaganda influenced people. So Biden ended up winning. Afghanistan, look at the, one of the few good things that Biden did when he pulled all the troops out of Afghanistan. Now, granted, he's currently starving the country through sanctions, so this is damning with faint praise. But when he ended the actual war, they acted like Joe Biden was Charles Manson. And that's the worst thing he ever did. So they misled people into thinking the real chaos is because we're leaving. As if when we were there, there wasn't chaos. They didn't educate people on our deals with warlords, with child sex slaves. They didn't educate people on that. They didn't educate people on the Afghanistan papers, which showed the corruption and the incompetence at the highest levels when it came to that war. And then again, to bring up the next example... Oh, people need to watch us. What are they going to do without us? When people watch you, you're not talking anywhere near enough about the, uh, the starvation of Afghanistan, the sanctions on Afghanistan by the West. We froze the, the country's entire assets because the Taliban took over. And as a result of that, millions of people are starving. Malnutrition is through the roof. People are going to die, and they're already dying because they don't have enough food. All you have to do is lift the sanctions. Why aren't there segments on CNN every single day saying lift the sanctions? This is murderous. Why aren't there segments about Yemen every day saying we're aiding a genocide in Yemen, too? So people, the idea that they need to turn to you because you're giving them the information and they'd be lost without you, that's absurd. People are better off if they never watch you. They're so much better watching new media there's six, seven shows I can name that people would be better off watching those shows in new media and independent media than watching you guys. Now, he did say at one point, to be fair, and this is correct, the media is out of touch with people. You're damn right they're out of touch with people. Then he said, well, most people aren't in the media bubble, saying it would be a good thing if they were in the mainstream media bubble. No, that's one of the biggest problems in this country, is that you guys do a terrible job. Look, don't, don't take my word for it. There's a great book came out years ago, and the model still more or less holds up in today's day and age with minor tweaks, but uh, Manufacturing Consent. You've got to read Manufacturing Consent. This is on the nature of the media and how they control the debate. They give you the illusion that there's a robust debate going on, but really the debate is very narrow in terms of the parameters of it. And as a result, you never get true outsider opinions, honest opinions, opinions that really question the fundamental status quo and the framework of the system we've set up. And so that leads people with a crisis of imagination where they don't realize just how screwed they are, how bad the status quo is, how bad the establishment is. Um, And you really perpetuate a lot of the problems that exist in the country by only ingesting this sort of dim, uh, unserious media. So, And it's on every issue, man. It's on every issue. It's tough to sort through all the bullshit out there, but well, I think what people intuitively know is most of this stuff is total bullshit. Okay. All right, final story of the day. Here we go. So this is really interesting. We are now at the point in this country where even hardcore Texas Republicans are softening on the issue of weed. Take a look at this.
0: Uh, but re- remember this, and, and, and that is uh, for position of marijuana. It is now uh, a class C misdemeanor in the state of Texas. And so one thing that that I believe in, and I believe uh, the state legislature believes in, uh, and that is prison and jail is a place for dangerous criminals who may harm others. Uh, and small possession of marijuana uh, is not the type of uh, uh, violation that we want to stockpile jails with. Uh, and so we have been making steps in that regard.
1: Now listen, I don't want to give him too much credit here because um, he hasn't really lifted a finger to do anything positive on this issue of marijuana. If this is an indication that they're not going to prioritize that and um, they don't want to fill the jails and the prisons with people like this. Okay, that's good, but they have to actually carry it out. And there's a lot that they can do legally, and uh, he hasn't really lifted a finger. So I don't want to give him too much credit here. I think he's also responding to pressure from opponents. Now, you know, Beto's involved, and he's for legalizing marijuana, so he might feel the pressure on that. 67% of Texans want to legalize it. So that's probably what's going on here. But having said that, look, there's been a sea change. Nobody can deny it. 67% 67% of Texans are in favor of legalizing marijuana. Over uh, over 50% of Texas Republicans are in favor of legalizing marijuana. You cannot hold yourself up as like, we are the state that believes most in freedom, and then turn around and lock people up for putting something in their body when they're not hurting anybody else. That would be like the definition of freedom. That's right in line with basic freedoms. So, uh, again, don't give them too much credit here, but there has been a sea change on this. And then, of course, that leads to the... The bigger point which is president biden could write this second legalize marijuana in the entire country he would just have to sign an executive order that changes the scheduling of the drug from schedule one to schedule four or five or just take it off the list completely at the very least he could decriminalize it with the stroke of a pen he could probably legalize it with the stroke of a pen uh he's got a low approval rating the democrats are going to get hammered in the midterms it, this would be one thing that would help them massively it would help them massively, and that's to say nothing of the economic uh, benefit that you get from it—you know, creating an entire national industry overnight. A lot of states have legal marijuana at the state level; it's still technically illegal at the federal level, though. But if you allow these industries throughout the entire country, that is—you uh, know—job creation, tax revenue. God, it's so annoying. It takes so long for these things to evolve. Now we're at the point where public opinion is solidly on the side of legalizing. I think it's like the new polls, like 70% support legalizing marijuana. But even when the public opinion gets there, it's, the institutions still lag massively. And that's incredibly frustrating. But understand, I don't even know. If you go back to like 1990, imagine what the polls were on legal marijuana in 1990. My guess is, and I don't know, but it would be below 40% and probably 30-something percent. But now we've got 70% of the country, even Texas Republicans are like, eh, we should probably stop being silly here. And um, the government is just dragging its feet. The the Biden administration is out to lunch on this completely. And it's pathetic, man. It's absolutely pathetic. This is one issue that's a no-brainer. And I will say there's also an issue where we will eventually win. And uh, the biggest reason for that is the issue of money. Because now the industries are big enough in the states where it's legal, where they can get involved politically. And they could start funding uh, political campaigns and soon as an industry gets a, a lobbying arm then that industry becomes a lot more viable because then and i think there's more money now on the side of the pro-marijuana position than on the anti-marijuana position so since that's the case you're going to see a sea change and eventually the politics will catch up because there's no putting that genie back in the bottle it's just not happening so it's a shame that we even had to get to the point where There's a lobbying arm for it, but here we are. So at least uh, despite all of the crumbling around us and the hellscape that we live in and imminent apocalypse, um, at least you'll be able to get high, man, as it all crumbles. All right, y'all. We are done. We have a great um, Crystal Kylan friends coming up this week, despite the fact that uh, Jordan Peterson is not going to be there but we have their Gravel teams on, so that should be fun. Everybody should check it out. Love you guys. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.